0: Sajima Mitta found what I like to call a searcher special. Recurring contracted revenue, super niche fragmented industry. CDMS, which Sajima has owned for over two years now, is a B2B services business. It provides environmental and safety compliance services. Sajima and I hit on lots of topics, including how to buy what is essentially a consulting business, how she's improved the quality of revenue, what itch she was scratching by acquiring a business, and, of course, the industry of environmental and safety compliance itself. My favorite part of Sajima's story is how her motivations as business owner have shifted somewhat, or better said, expanded. Her industry attracts people passionate about the work, environmental science grads, engineers. By working with these folks, she now finds herself really motivated by empowering them, So that they can learn, grow, and prosper. And happily, successfully doing that nicely aligns with building a great company. As Sajima says, if I can empower my team in the right way, everything else should fall into place. Please enjoy this interview with Sajima Mitta, owner of Chemical Data Management Systems. Welcome to Acquiring Minds, a podcast about buying businesses. My name is Will Smith. Acquiring an existing business is an awesome opportunity for many entrepreneurs, and on this podcast, I talk to the people who do it. I want to share an update on the Acquisition Lab. As you know, the lab is a highly vetted, cohort-based accelerator and community for people serious about buying a business. After going through the lab's month-long intensive, you have ongoing access to almost daily Q&A sessions with advisors, regular live deal reviews with Walker Deibel, author of Buy Then Build, potential deal team introductions, and a very active Slack group with other searchers on the path. Well, the update is that the lab recently passed 60 businesses acquired, and for well over $100 million in aggregate transaction value. Also, all members now enjoy lifetime access to the lab. Because when you buy a business, it's often just the first of many. And the lab wants to support you in every deal, not just your first. Lastly, check out my recent interview with Shane Ursum, episode 105. Shane acquired a business with over a million dollars in EBITDA in just six months. And he attributes a lot of his deal success to what he learned in the lab. Check out acquisitionlab.com or email the lab's director, Chelsea Wood, chelsea at buythenbuild.com. Sajima Mita, welcome to Acquiring Minds.
1: Nice to be here, Ben.
0: Sajima you acquired and are now the CEO of an environmental compliance services business, but it wasn't inevitable that you'd end up as an entrepreneur. In fact, you started your career by getting a PhD in data science. So today we're going to hear about your journey from that to acquisition entrepreneur. So start us off, please, Sajama, with some background on you.
1: I'm an engineer by training. And uh, as as you noted, I um, at one point, I wanted to be a professor in a university. So that's why the PhD. So I, I, at the end of that, I was trying to decide what I want to do. You know, one of the things, I, I guess, about me, you know, I, I find many different things interesting. I, I enjoy uh, I, I most of all learning uh and uh, uh so many different things so i did after my phd i did investing for about 15 years and uh i worked in many small and big companies and and the general theme was that we would uh you know we would invest on behalf of uh, pension funds like CalPERS, calsters cppib other um uh mm-hmm. N- N- norwegian pension fund etc and um it was perfect because, you know, people always, uh, people sometimes ask me when I was in that part of my career, how is it, um, you know, you, you are a engineer, you are you are a researcher, what are you doing here? And I found that actually it was not any different because there were interesting problems to solve, new things to learn and apply and, and improve systems. And so uh, I found almost, um, I found that they were both equally interesting. And then the same thing here now, you know. Mm-hmm when I'm, as I'm doing this, I find um, it's a different set of problems. You know, I'm not writing code all day long. Mm-hmm. I'm not reading papers or by mm-hmm. economists, but, um, you know, it's more the practical side of economics, I guess. So.
0: Well, we're going to, we are going to return to that and have you mm-hmm. kind of um, talk about what the problems are, what your day-to-day looks like and, and how that stimulates you. Um, but just to, just to understand a little bit more of your background, yes. you, so 15 years at investing um yeah. it, but you just mentioned writing code so so dealing with so you were writing code as as part of this career in investing to be clear
1: yes so uh, uh there are there are this this whole uh, set of uh, quantitative investors where people who write code are the people who are doing the investing because uh it's the code that does the trading um that that does the investing mm mm-hmm. yeah so, mm-hmm. so, so a person who's a who's a quantitative investor is uh, needs to know about the markets, about code, and about you know the stocks and you know all of the, all, all the different sure. aspects of things. Yeah,
0: and I heard you mention the Norwegian sovereign fund or, or Norwegian pension fund, Calpers. I feel like these are some of the big pension funds that I. I've heard of i I'm, yes. I'm not fluent in that world but um, yes. are th- those are some of the some some of the biggest pots of money around, aren't they? <laughs> yes they are I realize I'm going further back rather than in the yeah. right direction here uh, uh, Sajima, but I think it's interesting so yes. I'm also just looking at your LinkedIn and seeing Indian Institute of Technology that's iIT that those are that's um, of the, the the very prestigious family of, of universities in India, correct is that that's right, right?
1: I went to IIT bombay. It's a great school.
0: So you came to the States to get a master's degree to, or to c- continue your education? In, to, bas- yeah, for a PhD. Yeah. For your PhD. Yeah. Okay, great. So you have, uh, what I uh, perceive by looking at your LinkedIn and, and, and hearing you speak, a, a very successful career um, as a quantitative investor, um, deploying capital or making capital allocation decisions for some of the biggest funds in the world. And you do that for a decade and a half and it's stimulating. And then what starts to happen that causes, you know, that starts pointing you in the yeah. direction where you now are?
1: You know, so a couple of different things. One is, um, you know, I was at, I, I happened to be at a turning point. Um, you know, I, I worked for a small um, investment uh, company that used to focus on Asian um in the Asian markets, and uh, COVID happened, and we had a lot of volatility in our um, books. And uh, I, uh, it was uh, so, and it was time to move on. You know, the the the, the company just closed down. We were one of the largest investors in Asia, and uh, we closed down uh, in uh, right soon after COVID. And so I spoke to uh, other companies which do quantitative investment. I had a few offers and. Uh, i was trying to decide okay what 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 do i want to do long term and i had heard of um you know eta before that uh, a few years <laughs> before that and um uh and over the years as you work in a company regardless of um you know uh what kind of company it is you you uh, see decisions being made and uh the future of employees and the company depending on the decisions right and and um, and then you start to think. So sometimes you may start to think, look, I think this we should maybe we should be doing it in this other way. You know, maybe this decision should have been this personnel decision or uh, this direction, you know, or uh, things like that, right? So, uh, and and ETA gives me an opportunity to actually, you know, do that and and say and see, I, we can see whether I was right or not. You know, I've had uh, these mm-hmm. thoughts for a while and. Uh, So, so it, so it's a, it was great. It's, it was a great breaking point, um, in my career. So, um, and I said, okay, let's, let me do it now. You know,
0: what I'm kind of hearing there is, you know, in, in, um, at least in developers, which is a world I'm familiar with, um, software developers, there's kind of the two types of software developer, those that Want to just be software developers and, and and remain technical for the duration of their careers, and yes. then those that want to become managers and move into managers. And there's uh-huh. a there's a pretty st- strict bifurcation there because a lot yes. of the kind of technical folks really just they don't want to deal with management yes. and or uh, being managers. And what I'm yeah. hearing from you is that in fact, after 15 years of being a, a pretty quantitative person, I don't know if you had if you were managing people or not, but you actually felt yourself drawn to making management. Decisions and, and trying your hand at management and making decisions that could really impact an organization versus just yeah. kind of being in the in the code and in the numbers uh, for yeah. the, for the next stage of your career.
1: You know, I think uh, I think it's not just management because uh, so when you're a middle manager somewhere, let's say, you really don't get to you 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 manage people, but you're not managing the direction of you know the whole thing uh, in a way. And also, even if you're a technical person, at least in the space where I was, it's very different from software programming. You know, the person who founded the fund I used to work for used to write code all day long, you know, so it's not about, um, it's not that you don't, uh, it's not that when you write code, you're not um, making decisions. You know, what I mean is, uh, it's not just managing people, but also, you know, basically determining the direction of how things you know evolve. Yeah,
0: it's strategic decisions That's that right, yeah. um you were drawn to seeing if mm-hmm. you could if you could um try your hand at. Yeah, and you'd heard about ETA. Just do, do you recall? Did you have friends who had had done it? Um, do, do you recall yeah. where you first how it first came on your radar?
1: I think it might have been a podcast or a blog. You know, I, I read a lot. I uh, about topics that are not my profession, not related to my profession in any way. So it was one of the things that I discovered at that time, um, you know. So that that mm-hmm. there is the CTA. I had, I remember many many years ago looking at the Stanford search uh, page, um, mm-hmm. but not paying that much attention to it and thinking, oh, that's a you know because they have a paper and they show data. So. I, I'm always reading mm-hmm. papers uh, that, that that have some data and some conclusions, you know. Uh, and uh, one of my favorite uh, things is about how data can be used to say anything, right? So data, and and there is a lot of replication failure in in the industry and statistics industry. And but anyway, so I was just reading that paper from that perspective of you know, um, uh, oh, this is another interesting business-related paper and things like that. Um. But yeah, I think, uh, so, uh, I remember in one of your podcasts, you had talked about buying a port-a-potty business. And I remember, um, a long time ago hearing about that and then, uh, mentioning it to a colleague and, and the colleague was laughing at me and saying, oh yeah, and, and then you could do that. And then you could go to port a conferences and, uh, and meet other people right. and discuss the techniques. <laughs> and I thought, "Oh, that's a, that's an interesting thing, you know, um. Uh, interesting perspective
0: there should be a uh, porta potty business filter those of us there are two types of people in the world those of us who love the idea of a porta bu- potty porta potty business <laughs> and those of us who don't and 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 the, the, probably everybody listening to this uh, is in the is in the first camp That's right. okay well sajima so so you you've said you know you, you kind of recognize that now is the moment in your career to 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 yes. You know, put yourself in a position where you could make strategic decisions. I <laughs> and uh, doing so by buying a business. Yeah. Did you um, get any? Did you get any pushback, or did you get any you know head scratching responses from your network when you told them you were going to embark on this path? Because if you don't have people in your network who have bought businesses, this is classically kind of a like a decision that people respond with, "What are you talking about? Buy a business?"
1: Oh. Um. No, uh, well, I just, uh, I just did it. And then one day when I bought the business, I told my friends and family that I bought a small company here in <laughs> California. Um, okay. Yeah. So people uh,
0: probably, res- people in your network, something tells me they, they respect your judgment, uh, Sajima. So, so they, you probably didn't, whatever you do, they probably are like she knows what she's doing.
1: Uh, you know, honestly, I didn't ask for, uh, I didn't ask for advice from people on whether I should do it. Of course, yeah. my family, my husband, I, uh, you know, is, uh, he's on board uh, and fully supportive. But uh, I did, uh, I did do all the usual, you know, I spoke to, uh, in, in the first few months, I, I wrote to hundreds, uh, you know, literally, I spoke to a hundred, uh, close to a hundred people, either searchers or business owners. Um, who uh, who were running businesses, uh, small businesses throughout the U.S. I just did cold cold calling, cold emailing. Um, you know there are those statistics in the search literature about um, you know things. People, what percentage failed? There is some contro- There is some uncertainty about whether uh, the percentages reflected there are correct or not. You know because there is survivorship bias. Um, And especially on the self-funded side, right? And um, so uh, a lot of people, um, yeah, so I spoke to lots of people and learned a lot.
0: Listeners of Acquiring Minds know that for almost any business you acquire, its success comes down to the people and how you develop and manage them as their new leader. Thing is, in addition to management, there is also a lot of process and bureaucratic work when it comes to your new employees. Payroll, compliance, HR technology, hiring, to name but a few. These processes are crucial to get right, but at the same time distract from where you want to be putting your energy, in leadership. So Aspen HR is an HR firm and PEO that takes this work off your plate and handles it with the care it demands. Aspen is owned and run by Mark Sinatra, himself a successful former searcher. So, Aspen's own leadership understands the HR challenges that searchers have post acquisition. The firm is offering Acquiring Minds listeners a complimentary pre acquisition HR and PEO review for your target business. Check out aspenhr.com or contact Mark directly at markaspenhr.com. At well, in these conversations, uh, other than enjoying yourself, wh- wh- were you trying to decide or learn what if, how, what your chances of success were, or if you were to embark on this path, what the day to day would look like, and, and was that a, a professional lifestyle you wanted? What were what were you trying to learn, or just kind of as much as you could absorb, and then you were going to distill that into your own conclusions?
1: Yeah, it's a little bit like uh, you know, let's say you're going uh, on a new backpacking trip, right? So you don't know so you get a map of the place right you you obtain a map and you kind of read it beforehand and so you know that you so you so you're not going to take a tangent and end up you know in the middle of nowhere or you're not going to you know reach you, you want to make sure that you reach the trailhead by by the by sunset etc you know those kinds of things so it was not mm-hmm. so much to make a decision about whether to do it because surely you know it, uh, having worked in the industry for a long time uh, I was pretty sure that there is a role out there. There is a company out there that would fit fit my background, you know, where I would be useful. So most important thing is that, am I useful to that, that organization, right? Uh, and if I am, then mm-hmm. uh, then I will enjoy it and, and the, the organization will benefit from it. So, the, the, so and I know mm-hmm. that there, will, there are organizations out there that where I would be useful. Um, it was just that I wanted to know um uh, common mistakes i want to know what it is that i don't know basically you know what is it that mm-hmm. i might change mm-hmm. something and then um things may um things may go bad or something like you know i so i just wanted to know what is it that i don't sure. know what are the things that people found um that they made the mistakes they made or the things that they found really really valuable you know sometimes you hear uh, people say simple things that they just leaned in on that one thing and it it took them very very far you know so uh, yeah just wanted to hear from people uh, about their learning so i don't have to do it myself basically through my own experience sure sure
0: well it sounds like you had a clear um understanding that business buyer fit was uh an important criterion that you were going to look for a business where you could really uh, lean on your expertise and, and that, that, would, that that would be a, the puzzle piece that fits the, the, puzzle, the other puzzle piece being the business and that together there would be um, really a lot of value created. Um, what were some of your other criteria that you landed on in, in your search?
1: It had to be somewhere close to where I am. Um, so geographic uh, industry, I was agnostic Size, um, you know, I wanted it to be in the standard uh, self-funded range um, because so under two million EBITDA, and the reason for that was um, that in the first step. So I I am uh, pretty agnostic about whether you should raise, uh, you know, whether you should take investor capital or not. I think it, you know, at the right po- the point in time, investor capital can really uh, is the right ingredient to add to whatever it is that you're trying to achieve. But and right at the beginning, I wanted um, space and time for me to really understand the industry well uh, and figure out some of the things that I don't know about because I'm new to uh, operating a small business. You know, like operating a small company is very different from uh, working for the kind of companies that I've worked for before. Um, so... Mm-hmm. So it was important for me to be independent, right? Right in the beginning, even though I'm—that's not how I'm thinking about it in the long term. Uh, right in the beginning, I wanted to just do it myself, you know, and and uh, make the mistakes, learn, um, and 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 then you know prepare the right plan for the long term.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So Interesting. so 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 initially, you didn't want to take investor capital. You 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 wanted. Um, You didn't want to have to basically be responsible for other people's capital and have them kind of um, breathing down your neck for certain performance expectations. You wanted to have the space and the time to really learn at your own pace or, you know, as you felt comfortable. Um, And then, but you were open to investor capital longer term, but you recognized that um, how you'd use that capital would be much better informed once you actually acquired and had been operating a business for some time.
1: That's right.
0: So you were self-funded, and you were gonna you you were gonna bring all of your own capital to um, the equity for. And I assume it was kind of an SBA. You were expecting to do an SBA, yes, deal,
1: yeah,
0: deal, finance deal, yeah. Great. And you said you wanted it to be. It was geographically constrained, so you wanted to be in your your area. You're in the Bay Area, mm-hmm. so tell us about um, the actual search. Once you had this criteria, these criteria, how did you go out and conduct your search?
1: I um, I mainly did broker brokered search and uh, i spoke to uh, lots of people i i uh, i didn't have any interns i had interns for a little bit didn't work out uh, as well as i had expected uh, hopefully i'll do a better yeah. iteration of it sometime in the future um i i just uh i just looked at a lot of deals uh, that came through uh, and uh so I had, like I told you, I spoke to a lot of people who were my mentor. You know, I, I consider them my peer mentors, um, and uh, I got an advice uh, from um, from someone I respect a lot who said, write, write an LOI. You know, the very first thing he said after the first two months, he's like, write an LOI. And, um, and uh, so I think that was very, very useful you know to, to just get started right okay so if mm-hmm, you see a deal mm-hmm. what are the terms at which you will take take this you know what at what are the terms at which you'll you're willing to take over this responsibility for the next 5 years you know, think through that and write up a structure that works for you and see if it works for the person who's looking to sell or retire right so mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. and um so there there are these um yeah, so, so I mainly did a brokered search. I went and spoke to lots of people, um, did uh, phone calls. You know, whenever I, I looked at a particular industry and I went deep into it and I was in the LOI stage and things like that, then I would write cold emails to p- other other people in the industry across the country and I would talk to them, um, things like that, basically, to, uh, to learn mm-hmm. more about the industry and see if it's the right fit. Um, Mm -hmm. So ultimately, like I said, you know about the the trail map uh, analogy, right? Uh, So, Mm -hmm. yeah, you see the map, but when you are there, it feels different. When you are actually there, it feels different. And I I found uh, so one of the surprising things. So, uh, people say, oh, you should look for um, recurring revenue or blah blah. You know, like the seller who's uh, cares about the company for the long term and, and these kinds of things, and I found it interesting how they actually show up in real life, you know, compared to when I heard about them, in in the you know from other people or in the papers, things like
0: that. Sajima, so, but can you elaborate on that? What what was different based c- compared to what you were had been expecting or had read?
1: I think uh, so. So you know, when you uh, the, the strength of an ongoing con- going concern, right? So when you when you read about when you value companies uh, like I did before. I, I was doing this, there is going concern value and then the liquidation value. There are two values for a, for a business, right? So then the going concern value is based on um, current financials. So the momentum, the ongoing momentum of a company that has been running for a while, uh, that was quite surprising to me, you know. And um, so it, it does, it's very real, you know. So when, when a company is moving in one direction, it does keep moving in that direction, so, so it's good and bad, right? So everything is um, so, yeah. So, so that you, you, re, so I, I, guess you know. Sometimes you might be uh, when you're talking about uh, doing the transaction. Um, maybe uh, there is some discussion about, oh, this is what the historicals have been, and this is what it'll be in the future. I, I gained a lot of respect for how. You know what has been in the history will continue for for the long term, so um, you know any changes to it will be hard one and uh, take a long time. If you have a company with a with a certain culture and you you are looking to change the culture, it's going to take a long time for you to change that culture. You can say the word you can say the word change the culture, but actually to actually change the culture takes a long time. Uh, at the same time. You know, if uh, customers like that company, they're going to continue to like that company for for a long while. So you have plenty of time. So there's no need for it. as a searcher when you're taking over the business. There's not. You don't have to worry that much. It will continue. You know what I'm saying? So, um, mm-hmm. yeah.
0: Well, well, that that that's actually so. Um, as you pointed out, the, this this insight that you had. That there's a stickiness to an ongoing concern mm-hmm. um, works. There's both a pro and a con to that. Yes, the pro meaning that there it's it's probably not going to go to zero at least not immediately. I mean, it's got some staying power, um, which is part of the reason that we're we're attracted to this category, That's this right. opportunity. Um, it, but then the con is that any change you want to do is probably going to be slower grow slower yes. going than you might hope or you might expect. So yeah. how can did you can you net that out? Was it was it net positive news or net negative news? Like, did you did it make you like the opportunity
1: more, perhaps? Yeah, I think uh, you like the opportunity more because um, mm-hmm. b- because then you get to Less choose risk. what it is that you want you want to get into, and when you get into that that mm-hmm. thing that you've chosen continues, and then you get to choose the things mm-hmm. that you are uh, able to make a change in the directions that you are the things that you are able to bring to the table, so. So in fact, it's it it is good news. It's good news whenever you understand the the behavior of a system that you're working in, regardless of what it is. Right? <laughs> uh,
0: Says the data scientist. Um, <laughs> now, speaking speaking of your data scientist background, um, I'm hearing you refer back to your um, years of, of valuing businesses. Um, yeah. And you just breaking out, you know, what did you put it uh, the the ongoing concern value and, Going the concern and selling per, for parts yeah. value or the yes liquidation right the liquidation mm-hmm. value, um, which you know is is actually not a framework I've even heard after 150 interviews, so that's um, news to me. But but uh, are you how much were you leaning on all of this deep expertise that you spent 15 years building in your search uh, are. Is it really helping you kind of uh, understand the, the the valuations that you're looking at, or not so much because there's it's just so different?
1: Sometimes it's difficult to say whether uh, you know. So I was not explicitly using any of those things, but uh, you know, things like okay. quality. You know, things like when when you are an investor uh, in a company, you know, in, in companies and stocks, you're you're valuing them based on quality, right Valu- valuation, qual- the quality of the business, um, and the trend. So that's, uh, if you look, uh, those are the three main categories. And then how do you ev- uh, come to the numbers around that um, is a different, you know, there are many uh, hundred different inputs that go into each of those buckets, typically as a, as a quantitative investor. And uh, so I think the same, same framework pretty much is used in search from what I can see, you know, people look at the trend, people look at the quality of the business, which is recurring revenue, things like that. And people talk, look at the valuation, um, you know. Uh, a simple, crude yeah. way to do that is multiples, like the standard multiples. So um, so I think pretty much the same broad framework is used, maybe not the same language and not as... And the inputs are different. Um, you know, the, you, you assess the quality by actually meeting the owner and... Um, also, by looking at the financials, so you can see you know so when people talk about um, uh, lifetime value or the churn rate, for example those are uh, those are quality metrics uh, they they talk about the quality of the business um, mm-hmm. yeah, so because they don't talk about so you could have the same recurring revenue, but you can have a different churn rate, for example so So the same amount of recurring revenue will imply if you just did based on going concern value, you would have some multiple that you would come up with. But then based on the churn rate, that will modify the multiple that you should apply because the quality is different. I'm just uh, saying an example. Absolutely. For illustration, yeah. But I didn't explicitly use that. And I find that it's not explicit. So for example, right now I do some sales. Uh, I do uh, uh, customer relationship and sales for my company right now. And when I go and talk to people, um, I find that, um, you know, even though I have never done sales before, I find that being having a couple decades of experience working in different places is useful, informs my behavior in an underlying way. And in the same way, I would guess maybe evaluation. You know, it's not that um, I explicitly used any of that. but
0: It's sort of foundational experience and knowledge uh-huh. that you have that you're... That's right. you're standing upon to do your now job. Sajima, so tell us about the, h- how you found the business that you did and mm-hmm. tell us about said business, please.
1: Yeah, I found it. Um, the, uh, there were two uh, owners of the business, uh, two pr- primary owners, the a father and daughter. Um, the father had been one of the original founders and the daughter had joined pretty soon after the company was founded. This was almost 35 years ago. And, um, uh, they had been uh, running it ever since you know there were other founders and people involved intermittently but these two were the common thread from the beginning to now and uh, they had been looking to retire for a couple of years and uh, uh, finally they had they had tried to do something on their own and finally reached out to um, a broker and um, and had uh, listed their business and uh, i i yeah i just found it on online you know and um, and then i was introduced to them through the broker and then um, i went and met them uh, had lots of discussions um, all of the standard stuff
0: well 35 year old business that's a uh, great age so so tell us about tell us about the business Sacha. Yeah,
1: it's a professional services business it's an environmental health and safety consulting company and uh, it's slightly different from um, so. Typically, when you think of a consulting company, it's not doesn't have much going concern value because all the value is in uh, is in the, peop- the principals who are providing the services. But in this particular case, it right. had uh, been aged. It had aged for a long time, and um, it it was the right niche. So uh, we pro- uh, so C- CDMS um, provides. Um, Ongo, you know, so when, when a company, uh, when there is an industrial facility of any kind, let's say manufacturing or distribution, uh, there are uh, federal, state, and local regulations that apply on the environmental side and the safety side of things. So, uh, typically, if you are a business that is, uh, uh, if you're a manufacturing company which makes anywhere, say, from a revenue from Uh, Even let's say two, three million dollars, all the way up to hundred million dollars or more, you know, or even uh, or even five hundred million dollars. So, in that range, um, you're not, you don't have a large EH EHS staff, you don't have a large environmental health and safety staff. You and uh, you don't definitely even if you have one person say working for you who's dedicated to environmental health and safety they are not uh, experts in all the regulations that could apply to your facility. And uh, so what uh, the company does is, uh, it does several different things. So initially, if you wanted us to come in and do an audit and uh, tell you, uh, go through all possible regulations that could apply to your facility, what documentation you have on site and how your site is laid out and things like that, we would review everything and give you like a, 300 page document that would tell you what, what is, uh, what you do have and what, what you're missing, things like that. So we could do an audit. Uh, or we could, um, you know, if you wanted any one vertical, let's say air quality, you know, the air quality district is, you're having some communication with the air quality district and they want you to do something, we would evaluate that for you. Um, sometimes we, um, you know, uh, speak with the regulators on behalf of our clients and tell them, no, this regulation does not apply to this facility. They don't need to do that, for example. We, we do things like that for our clients. But a, a large part of our business is uh, is taking off the uh, ongoing maintenance from the sh- their shoulders. You know, our clients have uh, they have their core business to deal with. It's not easy to uh, run a business. These days, you know, they, they are trying to... Uh, Manufacture heart stents, or um, you know, uh, do plating for cases that you know go into cars, or whatever it is, you know. They, and 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 if they have to also be experts in all these different regulations that apply to them, you know, that would be too much of a burden for them. So we take that over. We do, um, you know, we do ongoing subscription service for them. So when they, uh, uh-huh. so we, we would visit their site. Every month or every two months, we conduct audits when we visit their site, we, uh, and we uh, gather data, conduct interviews, and uh, and but most of the work we do for our clients we do from our office where we write reports and talk to all these agencies and um, and and yeah do and take care of all their reporting um, and compliance burden.
0: And so what you're doing is is auditing and assessing the, their compliance with, with regulation, are, but you are not implementing.
1: Let's say a tank, they're doing a hazardous waste treatment and the, the tank is leaking. We don't fix the leak. But we do implement their compliance. In California, uh, the number of there are air quality districts that regulate what uh, chemicals you use and uh, how they escape into the air and affect air quality. Then there is Sanitation District, and each Sanitation District has its own regulations, although they have something common. So, uh, there is wastewater, you know, when you run a manufacturing facility, you wash some parts and that water has to go somewhere, it goes into the sewer line. Mm -hmm. And the Sanitation District wants to make sure you're not sending something down the sewer line. Then there is uh, rainwater, Mm -hmm. you know, let's say you're dragging uh, pollutants out into the road outside your facility, and that could go into and harm fish. So there is rainwater regulation, stormwater regulation. Then there is the fire department regulation, mm-hmm. which says, uh, you know, when our firefighters come into your facility, we want to know if there is some hazardous chemical there, you know. then um, And then there is other regulations associated with toxic substances, you know, how hazardous waste is disposed often. So each facility has... A a lot of regulations, so so that even just to prepare a plan, keep it updated on how you're going to uh, make sure that you are doing things properly in each of these aspects of your business, and um, you know preparing the inspection logs. You know maybe the client side uh, does the inspections, but preparing the right inspection logs and maintaining them, what they should check for when they go and do their inspections, and you know what should be reported we we do the reporting uh, for to to all the different government agencies ourselves the client doesn't do that we ha- we gather information from them but we are kind of like uh, tax preparers we uh, we gather information from them we do the analysis and then we do the submittals for them
0: so the nature of this is of course ongoing as you as you've said recurring uh-huh. so you're- uh, th- there's obviously an ongoing need to comply with regulations. And so, yes. so uh, you know, X factory is going to need you to come back year after year or depending on how, however, whatever the, the kind of the, the frequency of demonstration of compliance is, maybe it's every two years, every five years, I, I don't know. Um, mm-hmm. And, and they'll just keep coming back to you for that. So, so do you have like established contracts uh, w- with your customers or do they just call you every time, you know, every 23 months and say, Hey, can you con- guys come back in?
1: No we, for uh, most of our clients, we have established contracts and we uh, so we visit them every uh, periodically and we gather information we do things for them periodically whenever they are needed
0: Sajima, you said you'd said about how many consulting businesses like there's not a lot of um, inherent value to them because the, you know it, it's all in the principles um, you know brains and deeds. how is this business not? That why wasn't and this founder who founder and his daughter who'd been involved for for so long how how is this business not just all about the principles
1: I think uh, that so I think it happened because uh, one of the uh, one of the founders uh, w- was an electrical engineer who had worked in GE for a long time uh, you know uh, and he has he had this engineering mindset you know which was like oh. You know, complying with this regulation takes these. You know, these are the things you need to gather from the, you know, client. These are this is the information you need to gather, and these are the steps you need to take in order to comply. So he had thought through for each regulation, uh, you know, the process to follow, and also, um, you know, how to change the process over time. So there is uh, there was a there was an infrastructure to do both. Both the first layer you know and, and also the overseeing layer. and um, and and I, I think it happened because the company had been around for a long time. so I, I bet you, initially when they started off, they were just doing these things uh, and, yeah. and all the value you know and uh, and over time, they evolved to um, to have to have these things broken down. So, and, and it that, that's very useful to have, to be able to, you know, how do we deliver an, an, a, a service level to our clients, a, level, a high level of service to our clients? And, and the only way we can do that is if all of us follow the same process.
0: Over time, there had been um, process that had been put into place, SOPs, the practice had grown large enough that there was also just other people doing the work. It wasn't. It wasn't just the founders of the principles uh, out in the field doing the work. And so yes. it had just it reached a level of maturation that
1: mm-hmm. it
0: wasn't all about the principles.
1: That's anymore. right.
0: Okay. Yeah. I want to get to what your life has been like now that you are the one making strategic decisions and and Mm -hmm. what your life has been like as an operator. But a couple more questions just on the the business opportunity and this business itself. What does this industry look like of of environmental health and safety compliance? Is this uh, a fragmented industry? Are there a lot of such businesses? Mm -hmm. Is the TAM big? Like, Give us a picture of of yes. what it looks like and, 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 you know, what you would, you saw as growth opportunities if you were to put yourself into this industry.
1: Yeah. So I, I saw, um, you know, I saw and def- it's definitely fragmented, right. And, and I, saw it, it came into being in the eighties when there were uh, a lot of regulations that were passed eighties, um, in California and at the federal level and, uh it is highly fragmented. There are people who are single-person consultants. Um, there are large companies, uh, you know, which do hundreds of millions of dollars of revenue. Um, and um, and the reason it's fragmented, there is a lot of fragment small uh, companies, with small um, companies with five employees, let's say. And there is several with just one employee and there's several with 15 employees and so on. And the reason it's like that is because uh, like every other professional services com- business industry, even at a small scale, the principals um, make plenty of money, you know. So th- it's financially uh, comfortable at a pretty small scale. You don't have to have a large scale for you to have a good life. And the problems are interesting, you know, the, the, you're, you're, it's, you, it's, you think about a person, you know, I, I really relate to many of the founders because, you, you know, coming from a uh, scientific engineering background, right? So these are people uh, like the person uh, who uh, ran the, the people who ran this business before I took over, they really enjoy the technical details of the things. And it had grown mm-hmm. to a size that was comfortable for them. And uh, day in and day out, they would talk about, oh, this tank. Uh, there is this customer that does this hazardous waste treatment system. They are trying to put it up, set it up, and um, you know, are they going to use a flocculant, you know, or whatever it is? You know, those those are the kind of discussions they would mm-hmm. have. And, and I didn't even know what a flocculant was. Mm-hmm. I had to look it up online. So, um, <laughs> so for that reason, it stays fragmented.
0: And so did you see, therefore, that um, there was an opportunity to th- – that spelled opportunity to, to grow nicely? Because for, for a, an owner to have an appetite to get bigger than that, there, there was a lot of opportunity to do so. Is that the kind of conclusion to that?
1: So actually, when I was um, – a long time ago, when I was growing in my career, people – I remember reading something that, you know, um, when you're a woman – Right, uh, you go and negotiate. So there's this all this literature about negotiation, and do men do it better, women do it better, and things like that. And they found that if if, uh, if when a woman is negotiating, if she thinks about it as be doing on behalf of some other people who are you know her family, it could be her family or her team or something like that, then she would do better at that negotiation. There are some there are some studies that show that, and I find that. Uh, that that's, a, that's the lens that I'm most comfortable with. You know, I find it very useful. So if I think about growing the company now that I've been here a year and a half, so I may have had different thoughts uh, a couple years ago before I started running this business, but um, I find what, what really motivates me, what I find most comfortable is to think about my team and to think about, you know, all these small teams all over California you know, and what are their, an employee who joins an environmental health and safety consulting company, what are their long-term goals and prospects, you know, and if we can build a company where all of these employees have, um, have a bright future, you know, they have several years of growth, career growth, lots of learning, uh, increase in compensation and um, interesting problems to solve, you know then if, if a company is able to provide that, then um, all the other pieces will fall into place. You know? So the, the mm-hmm. uh, compensation for shareholders, um, taking care of clients, uh, you know, making sure that the vendors uh, are doing well, all of those things will, ta- will be taken care of. Um, and so mm-hmm. uh, th- that's my analysis of the, of the industry once I've been there for a while. Is is that um, that there is there is a lot of good talent uh, both at the managerial level and at the at the you know entry level in these companies throughout California, highly fragmented, and um, if we could and there is an opportunity to build a company that would provide a much um, a, a really good experience. For for these employees who are, you know, many of the employees who who come and many of the people who want to join the team, they are looking uh, for meaning. You know, they are uh, they are attracted. The environmental science people with environmental science background or chemical chemical engineering background, they took uh, so so you know, and and um, when they are looking to join a company such as ours or any of our competitors. They are looking for um, they took they took the engineering degree or environmental science degree in college for a reason right they are looking to have a career where they make an impact and also have a career where they are solving interesting problems these are these are people who have a certain ambition um, and um, yeah. So so, and I've worked in lots of big companies where there's a, uh, there are lots of career opportunities, you know, growth opportunities and things like that, and and it, it's really motivating for me to think that uh, the kind of mindset that I have uh, seen uh, in academia and uh, in the industry that I've been in that can be translated uh, to form a company culture that really. Um, it really empowers the the team members who join. Basically, these professional team members who join us,
0: Sajima. All of that, um, plus some some um, of our conversation on our pre-call um, about your team and about um, how how really motivating that's become for you, and how a big part of your story is um, is empowering your team in the ways that you just described. Um, Reminds me of a theme now that seems to come up a lot where many uh, folks who buy businesses, I guess often in, in blue collar, they acquired blue collar businesses, which is not the case here. Um, but maybe it doesn't have to be blue collar specific. That acquiring – they set out to acquire a business for a number of reasons. But top of the list was not necessarily uh, benefiting their employees in a positive way. I'm sure they, they wanted to be good bosses and good in, – in, in, good leaders but it wasn't like i you know i'm setting out to have a positive impact on a group of employees and buying a business is the way to do that but they learn after a year or two in the seat that that actually has been the most gratifying part of their journey sajima we we're um still got a ways to go still got a bunch of questions for you so just returning to the business that you bought by the way cdms if uh, if people missed that is what uh-huh. is is what it goes by, um, which stands for what?
1: Chemical data management systems.
0: Give us a picture of the business, the 35 year old business, but if any numbers around how big it is, any dollar numbers, if you can or can't, employee numbers, just so so people have a sense, number of locations.
1: Yeah, there are 15 employees and two locations. Um, And we serve hundreds of clients uh, throughout California.
0: And that state keeps coming up over and over again, yeah. uh, my one my one time home and uh, still beloved California. Uh, of course, California is is um, famous or or infamous, depending on where you fall in the political spectrum, for its regulation. <laughs> is this is this type of business one that? That California is particularly fertile for it. Mu- it must be, um, but but do you do you see an opportunity to expand in, into different states, or is this somehow like a, a California particular industry or or business?
1: No, I think. Um, well, believe it or not, I found out um, a f- few months into running CDMS that there are uh, many. Uh, areas in which, uh, say, uh, the state of Washington is more stringent than California, uh, for example. But uh, ah. but yes, California, <laughs>
0: uh,
1: it's possible that California... Uh, so there is this aspect of, in, when you're talking about environmental regulation or safety regulation, we do safety as well. So when you do, uh, there is the aspect of uh, the Congress or, or state or federal Congress uh, passing a law, and then there is the... Uh, Aspect of enforcement. So, uh, I don't have a good read for what enforcement is like in other states. I have a very good read for what enforcement like is in California. So, uh, any regulation or any law has only as much teeth as enforce, as the enforcement um, you know causes it to do so. And uh, so, so I think it's not. In fact, there are I, there are many regulations that we help that are at the federal level, you know, and um, we help with, uh, uh, there's something called toxic report uh, inventory, uh, tax toxic, uh, you know, there are many regulations that are at the federal level that we deal with. And uh, there are some regulations that are California specific, but I've researched other uh, states and they they have something similar, um, if not identical. So I yeah, there is, uh, I think, uh, but from a business perspective, you know, again, thinking about it from that holistic thing that I was saying, you know, CDMS needs to grow in California for a long time before it expands out, outside California.
0: And I figured, I mean, it's not like there isn't regulation around the country, but um, I just, I, I couldn't resist uh, calling it out because Californian regulation in, in, in the same uh in the same sentence, it has to be it has to be noted.
1: <laughs> I think the enforcement is. I I am guessing that the enforcement is different.
0: And Sajima, going back to your criteria uh, and business buyer fit, and you having a clear a clear sense that like you wanted to acquire business where you thought your skill set would plug in nicely and and, and and provide some unlock. What did you What did you see here um, that played to your strengths and you and you thought was so was such a nice fit with you
1: the infrastructure that we are currently working on you know definitely um, we use databases uh and uh we connect data we we write we have scripts and this existed before i joined cdms and uh so i think uh for an envi- it's it's not common for an environmental con- con- consulting company to do that but it, it exists in cdms because it one of the founders was an engineer and um i think um that uh, so but but my ability to help that has not materialized yet it will uh, hopefully there so when when you buy a company that's 35 years old there is a lot of tech there's a lot of debt of various kinds In you know in software industry you'll hear this word called technology debt um and uh so cdms had uh, a few things that needed to be taken care of uh, and i've been working on them systematically and the database systems, uh, the databases and scripts that we use were not the highest priority, but they have now become. So mm-hmm. possibly in the next six to 12 months, we'll work on that. So I think there my, my background ha- comes into place. But then also, I think uh, most importantly, where my background, you know, so I've worked, uh, like I said, you know, always worked in uh, places where there were a group of technical people who worked collaboratively. Uh, without much supervision and uh, always delivering direct practical results for our clients. And you know, how do you build a culture like that? How do you build a team like that that's um, uh, independent and yet accountable and empowered? You know, so that's uh, it's something that comes very naturally to me. Um, mm-hmm. That I think uh, that I think would benefit CBMS very much. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, and other than that, I would say that the, the skill, like I said, you know, uh, there was no reason I should have done investing after doing a PhD in data science, right? So, it's, not, uh, so it's, a new, it's a whole new set of problems here, but I really enjoy looking at new problems and solving them. For example, figuring out what is the highest ROI investment in a, in a small company um, and thinking through that and, um, you know, uh, yeah. So, And the other thing is being able to think about many different things at the same time. Uh, I don't know if it's a skill or an opportunity, but I, I enjoy that. And um, hopefully, you know, in a few years, we'll find out that I did a good job of it. Um, you know, there are HR things to be taken care of. There, is, um, there are systems, there is marketing, there is sales, there is technical development for um, environmental specialists. Um, there is a whole range of things that you think about every single day. So, so I, I think, uh, I th- so I think more than anything, this, there is a skill of you know thinking big picture and also uh, delivering the small details, right? So that's what it, it, one of the things I think unique about a uh, running a small company is that you have to do both at the same time. You can't be just a big picture vision person. You have to. But you can't be just a detailed person. You have to be able to do both. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think. So spending many years doing both, very useful.
0: Are you scratching the itch to make strategic decisions that you had hoped you would by owning a small business?
1: Yes. You know, so for example, some of the things, you know, we we used to do a little bit of uh, revenue on one-off projects that were, Um, that would arise once in a while uh, when a facility closed down or when a facility, uh, things like that, uh, that were more uh, related to remediation or hazardous material cleanup. There is a whole separate industry, and I know in the search space there is a lot of interest in that industry as well. So that's something we used to do occasionally, but that was not our strength. So we got out of that. You know, we don't do that anymore. Uh, To... And uh, what we've done is um, we've grown we've grown 15% um, since I took over but the but also we've changed the quality of um, of the work that we are doing you know so th- so that's uh, that's a change that we've made. Um,
0: the quality of, of work or the quality of, of revenue
1: uh, the quality of Revenue
0: you're doing more projects where you can add value and presumably they're kind of more recurring recurring in nature is that what you mean yes
1: more recurring in nature and more value to the client for the same dollar that we take from them
0: can you quantify that how, how, how that shift has been the, the quality of revenue do, do you have any any numbers off the top of your head
1: so I think for the first year you know for the first year we didn't grow at all but um, you know so there was about 10 15 10% of revenue that was from this um, work but it would the amount of headache was more like 25% so that has been removed and uh, mm-hmm. it was replaced with um, just the regular revenue the, the things that we are good at and then uh, and then this year we've made a big push to uh, to grow but grow very much um, for uh, in the direction that we like um, So, you know, it's
0: the subscription revenue, basically. And Sajima, when you talk about growth and now that you've been in in the seat, um, what type of growth are we talking about? Are you you talking about uh, organic sales-based growth? I mean, I I imagine this is kind of a heavy sales, uh, very much a heavy to grow is very much kind of direct sales to grow organically. Um, but then, of course, you mentioned the industry fragmentation. So so what about inorganic growth? Talk to us about how you're planning your growth.
1: Both. I'm thinking um, I want to do both. Um, I think, uh, I, I, you know, so one of the important things uh, that people will talk about when you talk to searchers, you know, having a sense of urgency, right, to to make a change. So uh, I would like to grow uh, significantly in the next Three to five years. Uh, I have one of the so you know the strategic decisions you were asking about you know like that is now I communicate uh, directly with my team every month about what our goals are long uh, you know one three five year goals and how what are we doing to achieve them and what how have we done so far things like that so that's a big change that um, has happened. And uh, I, I think uh, to hit our goals, we'll have to do both organic and inorganic growth. And, uh, and I'm working on both. I'm, I'm and um, I'm speaking to other uh, people who run uh, businesses such as, um, such as CDMS. Um, and there are many who are looking to retire at this time. And I would love to provide an opportunity for them to, um, you know, to do so. So, for example, I, and I always like to show, you know, wh- okay, what have we achieved at CDMS in the last two years, right? So all the employees who wanted to stay have stayed. Um, they, uh, they, they're they, they all doing well. <laughs> they're happy here and they're taken care of. Um, they have better systems. Um, and uh, we have improved benefits that we provide for our employees. And... Um, uh so, so, and all the clients are taken care of, you know, um, really when uh, they're all happy. And we, we recently received a, an email from a client which said, thank you. We have had six months of no accidents in our in, this, in our facility and the CDMS, you played a critical role in making that happen, something like that. So so I think mm-hmm. if people are looking to retire and they want to see, okay, what, what, um, what what is it that they're picturing for, for for their company going forward, you know, making, keeping their brand alive, uh, making sure that their employees are taken care of and making sure that their clients are taken care of. So I, I think uh, that in the last two years, we've we've delivered that, right? And uh, and the services that we are not doing anymore, we are referring them out to other reliable people who will take care of the clients for that. So, um, so in that sense, I think that would be the value proposition for... Uh, for inorganic growth and for organic growth um, you know we are dialing in our systems uh, improving um, improving the quality of service and and i you know i had a recent experience with a, a website i wa- i wanted somebody to help me build rebuild our website and uh, happy to work with them and they took two months terrible service and uh, if they had worked out for me, I would mm-hmm. have referred them to ten of my friends, and they would have had so much business. But you know, they didn't. Sh- they didn't deliver mm-hmm. for me, so they're not going to grow. So I think CDMS, um, the CDMS organic growth will happen in that way. Is that we improve our service and uh, mm-hmm. and we grow organically through through word of mouth. That's the best in this industry. That's the best way to do. It.
0: I don't think it's just your industry. Uh, an, an interview that aired uh, a week ago, James Bloom. Uh, who acquired a very small mechanical HVAC business uh-huh. and has adxed revenue over the last four years, and and really the core thing um, that that has been the engine of growth is just delivering quite ho- high quality service higher than the, the competition, and that alone has just pulled uh, pulled revenue out of his business. Um,
1: I heard I heard so. that interview, and it was so inspiring, so cool.
0: <laughs> yeah, I thought so too. Sajima, I have just two more questions for you. First, oh, first is uh, one, a business question, and then one, a personal question. Um, The business question is, so this is a very technical business. You are a technical person, um, but you don't have technical expertise in Mm -hmm. uh, environmental and health compliance. Yes. Um, How much, first of all, did you perceive that as a challenge, as a con, or did you, how did you, uh, approach that in your in your own mind, and and how how well versed in the technical nature of this business have you become?
1: I love learning new things, so I didn't think of it as a challenge. And also, uh, the principals of the business who were exiting were not delivering the service themselves. So from that perspective, I was comfortable, and um, and uh, and yeah, I've I've learned a lot, you know. Uh, I'm sure the environmental specialists who deliver, who actually deliver the service of CDMS, will say, "I don't know that much, but um, I know." Um, I would say I have a, a good big picture sense for all the different regulations that apply at different facilities. When I walk through a client side, I can point out uh, what they need to do and what they don't need to do. Um, so I, I, you know. I can figure out what they need, what they don't need. So I have plenty of depth in that way, uh, you know. And one of the things I've been here for two years. You know, I've been going to client sites all the time, and um, so and I've seen uh, what is delivered to all of our clients. So I have I've had an ability to learn. I've had an opportunity to learn much quickly, much more quickly than. I would if I were servicing one client, for example.
0: Sajima, last question for you. So we talked, we touched on at the beginning that um, you uh, got your undergraduate at a very prestigious university in India. So you are <laughs> Indian. And um, and so this is also a story, uh, you know, your story is one of uh, being an immigrant and having a very successful career and then buying a business as an immigrant. Is there anything that you would tell others who are earlier on in their journey than you are, but might also be... So, be similarly situated about the path of buying a business as somebody who is, who has come here from, um, from another country?
1: Well, in my case, I've, I've lived in this country for 25 years. So um, most of my adult life has been spent in this country. So I don't, um, I don't know how to conduct business in India. I've never done so, never even worked in India. So I, uh, so I don't know how I would say, so except that you know, one of the great things, uh, about, I would say maybe this is a common sentiment among immigrants, but the great thing about this country is the number of opportunities that, that you have, you know, and, uh, yeah, I, I found, uh, I found, you know, and, and the other thing is, you know, that to address the matter of diversity in general, so 50% of, more than 50% of, uh, small companies are run by women. I don't know if you know this fact. I remember reading something like that. I did this not. correct me if I'm wrong. So um, in, in the U.S., or maybe it was a California state, I should look it up. But um, anyway, the, I think that I found um, there is a right fit for you, whoever, whoever, you know, whatever your background is. Or ultimately, people are, uh, you know, when people, let's say you're a searcher and people are looking to retire. They want somebody to take care, you know, they want to be fairly compensated for the value they've built. They want their employees and their uh, vendors and their uh, clients to be taken care of. And uh, if you provide that to them, and if you come across as competent enough uh, and good-natured enough to be able to do that, then they will, you know, they'll choose you to, to do the, the transition. Uh, it makes no difference, I believe about whether you're uh, you're an immigrant or uh, any of the other factors.
0: Sajima, how can people uh, get in touch if uh, they have a question? What's your preferred way? Is it uh, oh, LinkedIn, yeah.
1: email? <laughs> LinkedIn is great. Email is, uh, I maybe I'll send you an email and you could put it in your show notes and at Uh Yeah. Great. We would love to talk to people. In fact... You know, I'd love to talk to people who are in professional services, who are running professional services companies, and also I'd love to talk to people who are civil engineers in California. You know, that's that's the, the so if well, if I'm targeting some people to talk to right now, it's those two people.
0: Well, well, well why don't we plug that, uh, Sajma? I, I yeah. believe that you're. I believe that you're. Are you hiring? I saw a post on SearchFunder. Is that is that for a role within CDMS?
1: Yeah, no, we are not directly hiring, but we want somebody who will work with us part-time to develop one side of our business. Okay. Civil
0: engineers in California. Yeah. Reach out. Yes, please. (laughs) Sajam Amita, thank you so much for coming on Acquiring Minds. Great to talk to you.
1: So good to talk to you. Bye then.